785 Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now. And we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com. And thanks for tuning in. Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local or national. But doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. back to another edition of Ballads and Brews. As always, we have another exciting show ahead for you tonight. We've got lots to talk about. The legislature has been up to its usual shenanigans, uh, so we're going to talk uh, quite a bit about uh, some of the crazies happening underneath the dome downtown. Uh, but first, in order to prepare ourselves for that onslaught of information, we are going to start like we always do with beer. Uh, so we are so excited tonight to have our buddy Wes Doolin from Shackman Sales uh, back with us tonight. Wes, thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. Awesome. Well, so, yeah, let's talk. We are uh, just a couple months into this uh, this new year. So looking back kind of on this, this first quarter uh, of the year, you know, what's been some of the, the kind of best-selling, most popular beers that you're seeing out there on the market? Uh, besides seltzers? <laughs> <laughs> Good uh, point. Yeah. Um, no, I think uh, anything with hops is still continuing to be the most popular style in the craft segment. Um IPAs uh, are becoming, uh, they've always been popular, but the variants that are coming out are, are helping move the needle a little bit. But all IPA variety packs are doing well. Um, basically, New Belgium Voodoo Anything is doing well. Um, and then uh, we just launched a, a new beer from Goose Island called 312 Lemonade Shandy, and we've yes. seen that do well so far. Uh, it's a really good beer. It's it's it tastes a lot like overseas. It's it's definitely got that beer taste with with the lemonade uh, added to it. So, um, and then you know we also seen an uptick in nineteen point two cans. The craft nineteen point two uh, single serves have done really well so far this year. Huh. That, uh, I feel like that stands the reason as, as people, like, as we're entering the year mark of the pandemic, people are just like, screw it. Just give me the, give, give me the, the big can and, and call it good. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well, I have to tell you, I've got a case of that, uh, Goose Island lemonade shandy in my fridge right now, actually, and it is delicious. Yeah, it's good. I like it too. So, so on the on the seltzer front, I have to ask because, like, I of course I'm like so not the cool kid, and so these have just like exploded. Like, are we going to reach like peak seltzer anytime soon? Do you think, or is that still going to be a thing for a while? That's a great question. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I think we'll know a lot more come August. Just uh, how many SKUs are actually going to make it in the market? Because right now the retail is being just. Uh, bombarded with different types of, of seltzers, and we're going to find out probably later this summer which ones are going to stick around and which ones are going to go by the wayside. Sure. Do you have? Do you are you a seltzer guy? Is there anyone that you particularly care for more than the others? Yeah, I, I like Wild Basin. Wild Basin from Oscar Blues. Mm. Um, you know, I'm one of those. I'm kind of a health nut a little bit. So, sure. it, as far as as far as seltzers, it's the cleanest. It has basically no sugar, no carbs. Um, oh. Is super clean. Sometimes I think with the seltzer category, 
you know, you look on there like, oh, it's low sugar, low calorie. And then you read the back and you realize, you know, Truly's and White Call have four grams of sugar. And yeah. I'm not sure that's any better than you than for you than beer. So, right. um, uh, New Belgium Smash has got another one that just got released out this month that we like that I like as well. Um, it's just completely different. The marketing's uh, clever and uh, targeting towards the younger drinkers. So I'm interested to see how that one will do. Very cool. I'm gonna, to, I'm gonna to try that out. I'm always looking for. You know, that's always hard when you're trying to be health conscious. You know, I instantly will go to like, you know, like the Mick Ultras and those kinds of things. But I'm gonna to have to give some of these other seltzers a, a try now. Awesome. Uh, you know, looking ahead to uh, the next couple of months, what are some uh, new releases that people should be looking forward to? Uh, yeah, so as we get into April, we start to get into our summer seasonals. Um, oh, yeah. Just off the top of my head, uh, New Belgium's Y2K rotating IPA is going to be coming out, um, and that's a, it's a uh, it's a rotating series that they do every quarter. Um, KC Beer is going to have a couple seasonals. One's a Weizenbach, which is a, mm. basically a Doppelbach, and then they'll have a Kolsch later on this summer as well. Um, Odell is going to have peach stand again this year, which is one of my favorites. It's a, it's a peach, peach infused blonde ale. Nice. Um, and their Imperial IPA tree shaker, which is a mango Imperial IPA. Ooh. Um, and then just for tall grass, the, the tall grass fran, uh, fans out there, the uh, Halcyon will come back this summer as well. Very nice. That's that's a good variety of things to, to look forward to. I just noticed so on that the uh, Y2K IPA. You know, for kids, this just hit me this year that kids are turning twenty one, and I say kids because I feel old now. Like they were born in two thousand. Like they're not gonna know what Y2K was. I know it is funny. I, I, I've seen the packaging on it, and it looks just like you know I'm a '90s kid too. So it looks just like what we wore back in the '90s. It's, 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 New Belgium's marketing is just brilliant. That's awesome. I have to try, I'm gonna have to try that, and I'm gonna explain to all my younger family members. You see, like in 1999, we thought the world as we know it would end on New Year's. So we're gonna have to get this education, all right? Oh man. Well, speaking of uh, younger folks, what is anyone in general? You know, sometimes craft beer. It's kind of a, a wrap for being uh, for being pricier uh, for some folks. Uh, but if you've got people out there who are who are kind of being a little budget conscious, uh, is there are there any kind of lower cost uh, craft beers that you recommend? Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm trying to shop for deals too. A lot of our liquor stores run like flash sales or end of season closeout sales, so you can always just ask your you know your preferred liquor store that you shop at you know what kind of deals they'll be running for the week, and a lot of times. We run into where we need to transition into our next seasonal. So you'll notice you'll go into a liquor store and find a six pack of whatever for three ninety nine. It's because we need to move on from that seasonal and on to the next uh-huh. one. And so there's nothing wrong with the beer at all. It's just uh, it's just kind of like uh, you know buying shorts in the winter. It's just one of those things <laughs> the store needs to flip over to the to the you know to the winter clothes. So it's it's that happens there. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I buy 12 packs a lot. So in mm. New Belgium, Sierra Nevada, they have very good aggressive price 12 packs. Um, and then we're working right now to get a couple of bloggers in from Odell and uh, Oscar Blues. That'll hit around uh, $11.99, $12.99 price point for the 12 packs. So there's a oh, couple wow. of options there to, uh, that I utilize, and hopefully um, that'll help someone looking for a deal. 
Absolutely. Well, that's a good point too. As we were getting ready to switch over uh, seasons, sort of for people to start to start looking and scanning for that in, the, in their liquor stores. Yep. Awesome. Well, and you know, as the weather gets warmer and you know, kind of seasons are changing over, and people are, are have you know been cooped up in the house for uh, the last year, so you know, people are starting to kind of think about uh, you know venturing out and maybe even traveling a little bit. Uh, maybe they're doing you know day trips around the state or that kind of thing. Uh, you know, as you go out about, are there any good uh, kind of local Kansas breweries you'd recommend people try outside? Of course, our fabulous ones in Topeka, but you know, any others around the state you'd recommend folks uh, stop by? You know, I, I haven't got out much either in this last year. But um, I keep I keep hearing about the Kansas City craft beer scene right now is really exploding. So I'm I'm looking to get out that way uh, this summer. Um, nice. You know one one brewery that has been uh, talked about a lot is that BKS uh, out in Kansas City. It's on uh, like 663rd Street. Oh, okay. Um, that's one I've kind of uh, wanted to wanted to get out and try. But um, you know just kind of here locally, we've got a new brewery opening up in Holton called Wilcott's Brewing, and they're going to be opening in, I believe, late May. So uh, you'll actually, it'll be kegs and bottles, so you'll see bottles here in Topeka, so... um, But anyone wanting to get out and about, you know, uh, his brewery should be up up and open uh, by late May. Hey, awesome. That's pretty cool. It's good also to see good old Holton getting in on the the craft brew action, too. Yeah. Okay, well, and, you know, speaking of, of warmer weather and summer and those sorts of things, have you started to hear any more about kind of what the summer kind of brew festival season will look like? I know Tapat uh, is on the books right now for early June. Does it look like any other places will be kind of planning or tentative with planning events? Yeah, I, I think so. I think uh, I was supposed to meet with Tap that uh, yesterday, and it got rescheduled to, to next Tuesday, so I'll know a little bit more next week. But um I know that event's going to take place on June 12th, and it's going to be uh, a limited amount of tickets. They're going to try to scale it back a little bit. Gotcha. Um, but we, we as a distributor, plan to support that 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 event fully. So um, I haven't talked to a lot of the local guys, but I assume they would as well. So it should be a it should be a good event. Um, it's just one of those whatever the protocols are at, at that time and and how they're going to utilize uh, the spacing. Absolutely, for sure. Maybe they could get, I keep seeing people that have like these like bubble suits or things that they can wear, like social distancing things. Like maybe you need something like that, but you can have your like beer with you. Yeah, well, and, and we feel like things are starting to open up too. So yeah. uh, hopefully that continues and, and by, by June, you know, we can be a little bit more relaxed on, on, you know, having gatherings. Absolutely. Well, hey, I've got my, I, you know, I feel like I was already doing some of those safety protocols like before, like, yo, your pretzel necklace and stuff. Like, I didn't have to worry about sharing food. Like, I was good to go. Like, I had my <laughs> yeah. stuff already. So, we were, we yeah. were good. <laughs> well, awesome. Right. Well, we'll, keep, well, we'll keep our eyes posted for that. It's exciting. That's a good note for uh, folks to know about Tap Dash. The tickets are on sale right now for Tap Dash. If you're looking to uh, to purchase those and make plans for the summer, then we should know those are on sale right now. Uh, Wes, anything else people should know about for the Next couple months, anything else going on? No, I think, you know, like I said, things are starting to open up a little bit. So, um, you know, the bars and restaurants are, are back to where they're, um, you know, uh, are over 75% capacity and open until 2 now. So sure. people want to get out and drink, you know, if they're comfortable with it, be a good time to go out and support the local guys. And, um, and of course, we have, we have amazing craft breweries here in Topeka. So 
Um, and everything I've, everything I've talked to those guys about, they're, they're producing new beers right now. So having a lot of fun. So if you can get out and, and try to, you know, support these guys, I think it'd be really helpful. Absolutely. And of course we should plug to Topeka Beer on Facebook. So folks can go follow uh, that page on Facebook and you guys do a great job of keeping people up to date on new releases uh, and new things that are going on through that uh, Facebook page as well. So it's Topeka Beer on Facebook. Wes, thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. Yeah, no problem. Angel, anytime. Awesome, awesome. Well, folks, go ahead and stay tuned because up next, now that we've had our, our fill of beer uh, for the uh, for the evening, we're going to talk about everything that's been going on in state and local politics here in the last uh, week. So go ahead and stay tuned. You are listening to Bounce and Brews here on KSF 75 Live Radio. You're listening to Ballots and Brews on KSCF Digital Radio Topeka. For advertising opportunities, please go to 785live.com. Thanks for tuning in. All right, folks, it is now time for the roundup, where, as always, we take a look at everything happening in state and local government, and there's a lot. Uh, so grab a drink, grab a couple drinks, grab a shot, grab skill shots, uh, whatever you need uh, to get through uh, this uh, next little block of time, because there is a lot to cover. So we're going to get right to it, starting as we always do in hashtag Top City. Uh, council members are probably actually going through some withdrawals uh, right now, because they there's now been two weeks where the city council hasn't had their regular meetings. Uh, remember, they only meet the first three weeks of the month, and this month has this extra little bonus week uh, added in. Uh, so they haven't met regularly. Um, though it should be noted, they did actually have a special session on Monday, uh, which if you watched, you probably were a little confused and thought, what is this? Uh, because they literally convened the meeting and then made a motion to went, go into executive session and then went away. Uh, so just to clarify things, because someone asked me this earlier, uh, executive sessions are, first off, a legit and legal thing to do. Um, there is nothing shady McChaderson about them. Uh, they are a tool used by governing bodies when they need to meet to talk about certain confidential matters, typically HR, employment type issues. Um, executive sessions aren't broadcast to the public, and there's no notes taken for inclusion of the minutes during the meeting. Uh, this week's uh, city council exec session was actually specifically for them to talk about upcoming contract negotiations with the Topeka Police Department. How would I know that, by the way? Because I signed up for those handy-dandy e-notify notices that the city manager talked about on last week's show. We'll be sure to post a link on our social media again for those uh, uh, so you can sign up and you too can get a little dose of uh, nerd uh, nerdiness delivered to your uh, email uh, inbox on a regular uh, regular basis. That website, by the way, is topeka.org slash e-notify. Uh, in order to go into the executive session, the governing body does have to first convene openly, um, and then someone has to make a motion to go into executive session, hence the little uh, show that you saw on Monday night. Uh, side note, I've always thought executive session would be a good name for a bar. Like, you know, it's kind of cool, and it's, of course, it means it's secret, and actually, the more I think about it now, it's probably not a bar name, but actually probably a name for another type of establishment. Uh, anyway... Uh, on to the county level, where our county commissioners decided to stir the pot this week on all things mask-related. Now, you may be saying to yourself, but Angel, I thought the county commission wasn't going to review the mask mandate until April 12th. 
And you would be correct, good and faithful citizen who pays attention to this show and our watches and news. Uh, however, the Kansas legislature threw a little curveball recently with the passage of Senate Bill 40, which actually amends the Kansas Emergency Management Act, which we have talked about before. One of the things that this lovely piece of legislation does is it allows any person who is aggrieved uh, by a county commission's health order to bring a lawsuit against the county. I tried really hard, y'all, to not read aggrieved as snowflake. Just just saying. Uh, that suit, here's the other kicker, that lawsuit uh, must then be heard within 72 hours and a judgment rendered within seven days of bringing the lawsuit. Uh, if the county can't meet that timeline, then there are additional damages that they could be liable for as well. So take a county like Shawnee County that already has a court system that's backed up, and we know that meeting that timeline would probably be pretty hard, and either way, we're open up to all kinds of liability. The Kansas legislature, of course, knew this, and so they decided um, in, in making this change to really force counties' hands um, in making decisions as it relates to uh, masks in their communities. Uh, after speaking with, uh, with their council, the county commission decided they needed to relook at this mask ordinance, therefore ASAP. After some extensive conversation, the commission voted two to one, uh, with Commissioner Cook being the one holdout, uh, to keep the mask mandate in place. However, any individual or business can now opt out of the mask mandate in their business or as an individual. Uh, so subsequently, of course, the city has announced that they will still require masks in their buildings, and many businesses, like our friends at Brubank, have said they will still require masks. Uh, so why are we arguing about masks anyway, right? Like, what's the, the point? That's a question I've heard um, uh, posed a lot recently, and, you know, usually it goes something like something, something freedom, something, something liberty, something, something let people make their own choices. And it's like, I, I think some people think that if they wear a face mask, like, I don't know, George Washington is going to come back to life and stack them. So here's the deal. We've been saying it all along that this really isn't about us. It's, it's and this is a tough lesson for, you know, America, uh, but it's not about us. A couple things. We said it before, we'll say it again. Your mask protects others. Even if you aren't sick, you can still be an asymptomatic carrier of the virus and infect others. A huge majority of our county still has yet to be vaccinated, which means there are still many people running around out there that could spread this virus to others or get it from others. As we've talked about before, the vaccine is fantastic news, but it is not a free pass to go around and hug every stranger you see on the street. Uh, one of the biggest unknowns about this vaccine is how it will handle variants. And, of course, in the midst of all this, surprise, surprise, Shawnee County has discovered three cases of the UK variant of COVID-19 in our community, and there will likely be more here and in our surrounding communities. Uh, variants really represent the biggest X factor for these vaccines, and it's too soon to really know um, concretely how our vaccines will handle them. And by the way, those are just the variants we know about. Uh, we also don't know what other new variants could be emerging and how the vaccine will handle them. Uh, so what, right? If other people get sick, that's on them, um, but it isn't. 
Each time the case count rises, it takes up public health resources. And that's been the name of the game from the start of all this and what we've been trying to prevent, overwhelming our public health system. That means hospital capacity. That means our ability uh, to contact trace. And at some point, that begins to impact everyone. When we have to divert public health resources from other areas, that means that people who need care for other more routine things in a hospital or clinic or other places aren't all of a sudden going to be able to get the care that they need which then leads to further complications for the health of our entire community. Uh, there was a meme going around the other day, and I couldn't have liked it anymore. It actually showed a bridge under construction, and it was only partially built. And the caption said, hey, the bridge is 25% done. Great, let's open it back up for everyone. Uh, which I just could not have loved that any anymore. You know, the, the more vaccines we get in people's arms, the better, and we are doing better each and every day. But please, 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 let's give our public health professionals the time they need to get that done. Uh, it is still too soon to declare victory and, and walk around as though this virus is not among us right now. The sooner we can get more vaccines, get more shots in people's arms, the sooner we can do that, the sooner we can put this behind us. So I know that patience is not a virtue in this country. Um, and I say this like I'm the most patient person in the world, and I'm not. Um, but I'm just pleading with everyone to please, please, please let this process work itself out. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, y'all, we've got to talk about what happened in the state legislature this week. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like we lost a bet. Like someone somewhere one time bet us that we can have the most asinine legislature ever. And we were like, oh, yeah, hold my sunflower. Because, y'all, it's been a week. Uh, it's actually been a busy week in both chambers as they are working feverishly towards uh, next week's first adjournment deadline, which is next Friday, April 9th. Um, yes, it does take the legislature multiple times uh, just to adjourn their session for the year. Uh, as much as I'd like that to be a dig at the legislature, it's actually a procedural thing. So the legislature usually times it to be finished with most of their regular work early in April. Then they go home for a couple of weeks, uh, remind their families and their bosses who they are. Uh, meanwhile, folks in legislative research and in the staff, uh, other staff working at the Capitol uh, take time to prepare necessarily con necessary conference committee reports and other things um, in time for the legislature to come back um, at the end of April for a wrap-up session, uh, which is typically spent finishing up any bills that haven't already gotten passed through their chambers and taking on the dun-dun-dun omnibus bill. Uh, the, om the omnibus bill sounds far cooler than it really is, but it's actually really important. It's essentially the bill that takes care of everything in the state budget that hasn't already been passed in Senate appropriations bills, which is a lot. Um, and it also tends to get other things tacked onto it. Um, it kind of becomes a catch-all for all those other pieces of legislation that maybe got lost earlier in the session. Uh, remember we talked about before this idea that nothing ever truly dies during a legislative session? The omnibus bill is one of those ways that, like Lazarus, we can resurrect things that were about to have been killed off earlier in the session. By the way, a Lazarus reference this close to Easter, you're welcome. Uh, so time is of the essence for our friends in the legislature, which means these days are kind of like a greatest hits record of terrible ideas. Uh, so get the record player out because here we go. 
We will start first with education. We talked previously about this bill known as the Student Empowerment Act, uh, which would basically allow students and families to take the per pupil amount of money that schools would typically receive for their student and put it away in a, quote, education savings account for that student and their family to use toward private school tuition. Uh, An amendment added to this bill also expands a scholarship program that was previously limited to just about 600 low-income Kansans um, and expands it um, to allow organizations that grant scholarships for private school tuition to be reimbursed up to $8,000 in tax credits per student per year. Um, And and uh, greatly expands uh, the number of students that are eligible um, to receive uh, these credits towards uh, private school private school tuition. And again, what we're talking about here are vouchers. This idea of giving people money that can then be used, uh, people who are in public school, uh, giving them money to be taken to be used towards private education, that's what we're talking about is vouchers. And so these measures represent a huge expansion of our voucher program in the state of Kansas. And of course, once again, raises the argument about how much public money should be diverted um, to be used towards and allowed to be used towards private school education. Mind you, Kansas is still in the middle of a court order to ensure that we are funding our schools equitably equitably, since, you know, we haven't been doing that. Uh, Nevertheless, this Frankenstein bill, as it has now been deemed, uh, was passed on a vote of 65 to 58 in the House. And by the way, speaking of funding public education, we're still not clear how that will work exactly. Uh, So this bill that we just talked about that got passed, Republicans have promised um, that even with the changes that they made, the amendment that they made um, and other provisions, that that bill can still meet the governor's budget recommendation for education funding. However... Democrats have pointed out, hold up, we also just passed House Bill 2397, which made an across-the-board 2% cut to the state budget, all parts of the state budget, including public education. So how does that work? Oh, and then, to add another wrench in these plans, remember we talked last week about the Senate passing their education bill, which hacked off about $500 million in state funding for education under the wink and crossed finger promise that we'll use federal COVID dollars to supplant that funding. So here's to the conference committee that's now got to get together and figure out how to reconcile the differences between these bills. Um, yeah, this is the part they don't show you in that Schoolhouse Rocks video when you're growing up. Uh, once we find out where that conference committee meets, by the way, we'll be sure to let you know so you can send them all the booze because they are going to need it. Uh, Same with the education theme, another bill that made it out of the House this week was a bill requiring a civics test for high school students in order to graduate. Uh, The bill requires students to pass a civics test um, that uh, can be drawn, is a test that consists of questions that can be drawn um, from the naturalization test that's administered to people looking to become citizens. Uh, So that test is a 60-question long test. Under this bill, teachers can pick up to 20 questions, multiple-choice questions from that test to administer minister to students, um, and the students have as many times as they need to retake that test in order to score proficient enough uh, to to pass it and then to be allowed to graduate. Uh, This bill actually prompted quite the debate, two hours worth of debate as a matter of fact, and y'all, it got a little little Bravo reality TV-esque real fast. Uh, All I'm going to say is hell hath no fury like a retired school teacher. One of the bill's opponents was Democratic uh, State Senator Pat Keedy, a 
require a retired school teacher, and one of the proponents of the bill was Republican Senator Alicia Schraub, who formerly homeschooled her kids. Um, and the two of them uh, had quite a robust discussion. Uh, first off, it's helpful to know that Senator Schraub not only homeschooled her kids, but as a Kansas reflector pointed out, uh, Senator Schraub wasn't quite familiar with the constitutional role of the Kansas Board of Education in shaping curriculum, wasn't aware of the board's standards for civics education, and didn't know how those standards were formed. Oh dear. Uh, for Straub's part, she argued that any student should be able to pass the test as long as they're being, quote, adequately instructed on the principles and foundations of the U.S. Constitution, end quote. Uh, Senator Petey expressed her concern that students should know more than just being able to regurgitate facts, uh, but should also know how to, quote, discern and think as a citizen, end quote. Uh, a standard, she says, is embodied in the very Kansas Board of Education standards that Senator Straub was unaware of. Uh, Senator Straub went on to point out as an aside, by the way, in the midst of all this, that a high school diploma is actually not required to be a member of the Kansas legislature, as if we needed another reminder that the bar for being state legislator is very, very low. Uh, the best part, though, came when Senator Petey asked Senator Straub how she addressed civic and civics engagement as a home educator. Uh, after Straub responded that her children had an extensive knowledge of American history and the U.S. Constitution and even world history, uh, Senator Petey asked if she based their abilities on a test. Uh, Straub responded that she didn't understand why Senator Petey had such an issue uh, with this test requirement, and Petey responded with this little gem, quote, I don't understand the inability to respond to the question I asked. I mean, I taught for 37 years. I'd be glad to expound on the things I did within my classroom, end quote. Burn, y'all. All that was missing at this point was some flipped over tables uh, that, to just really complete the reality show-esque drama of all this. Um, so as I mentioned, though, this bill did, um, did pass. Uh, coming off of that soap opera, on the other side of the building, you had the Kansas House, which all of a sudden at one point found itself in a position to vote on an amendment to a budget bill to expand Medicaid. Uh, that long sought after change that would allow 160,000 Kansans to receive health insurance, which, you know, I hear may be important these days. Uh, just as a little reminder um, for folks who aren't familiar with this issue, so of course Medicaid is a federal program that is also administered at the state level um, that is uh, uh, that helps folks who are low income have access to health insurance. The issue we have in Kansas um, is, and it's an issue that other states have had too and have had have now subsequently addressed. Uh, but the issue in Kansas um, being that you've got a group of folks, about 160,000 of them, uh, people who are working, um, usually uh, couples uh, who don't have children um, and who are actively working in the workplace. Um, they are making too much to qualify for uh, Kansas. Medicaid as it stands right now because the, the bar, the income bar um, for that is very, very low. You have to make below a very low amount of money. And so you have folks who are who are working, so they're making some money, um, but they're not making enough money to be able to buy the purchase money on the healthcare exchanges through uh, private insurance or things like that. So they fall into this gap of people who make too much but not enough money. Um, and so we've been trying for years now to be able to pass Medicaid expansion. 38 other states have already got on this um, and so Kansas is one of those uh, few that are uh, that are holding out uh, on this 
Um, so uh, the other thing, too, mind you, uh, by expanding Medicaid, uh, Congress has sweetened the deal a little bit. We can also get $450 million from the feds if we do this. Um, some dollars that might come in handy, y'all, if you remember the math from we, that we did above about some money that we uh, are missing from our education budget right now. Uh, measures to expand Medicaid have been blocked in committee by Republicans forever, and so this was seen as another attempt to get the issue brought up for a vote, but it unfortunately was blocked again. So those 160,000 Kansans are just going to, I don't know, find some new bootstraps to pull themselves up by um, and try not to get sick. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, there was also that fun moment where Kansas House voted on a resolution calling on legislators to reject a new mask mandate that Governor Laura Kelly will be putting into place today, actually. See, the mask drama isn't just limited to county government. Uh, one of the changes made in that bill we mentioned earlier about the Kansas Emergency Management Act is that when the governor issues an executive order as she's doing about face masks, that order is subject to review by the legislature, and in the legislature's absence, it can be reviewed by something called the Legislative Coordinating Council, a small group of legislators from both chambers that convene to review various matters. Um, the new law provides that if the legislature is out of session for three days, the LCC can take action. Uh, since the legislature is leaving town today, actually, and won't be back um, until Monday, um, it remains to be seen what will happen, and we will see if the Legislative Coordinating Council will take any action or if the legislature as a whole will take action, but many of them have expressed their, uh, their sincere objection to the governor's mask mandate. Um, again, just pointing out that masks are probably the least most intrusive, yet one of the most effective ways to slow the spread of COVID-19 in our community. But anyway, uh, speaking of heading out of town, one person that I sure hope has a ride to get home is Senate Majority Leader Gene Solentrop. Oh, that's right. You thought we forgot about old Sully. Yes, as you recall, this is the man who saw fit to drive his SUV the wrong way on I-70 like he was playing Grand Theft Auto. Oh, it probably helped that he was apparently hammered on a Monday night. Uh, as promised, the Shawnee County District Attorney reviewed the case and formally charged Solentrop last Friday with felony eluding or attempting to elude police, driving under influence, reckless driving, and various sundry traffic violations. Uh, good old Sully turned himself in last week, and I do have to say, one of the best things was watching the reporters who tried to track him down after leaving the courthouse to see if they could get a comment from him as he made his walk of shame back to wherever he was staying, since the dude didn't have a ride with him. Uh, and yeah, folks, that walk of shame hits different when you're, you know, in your 60s and the leader of the majority party of one chamber of the state legislature. Just saying. And last but certainly not least, we can't end the discussion, uh, we can't end our discussion of the Kansas legislature without a discussion of the chicanery, take a drink if you have that word on your bingo card list, uh, that occurred last night as the Kansas Senate passed election reform changes. Uh, as I'm sure all of us can recall in excruciating detail, uh, the dumpster fire that was this last national election revealed that there is a certain set of people who are willing to buy into all kinds of falsehood, myths, old wives' tales, what have you, about the security of our elections. Uh, so much so that it has prompted some states, <laughs> Georgia, <coughs> 
excuse me, uh, to pass sweeping voter reform measures that actually serve to do the opposite of what they propose to do um, and actually end up suppressing voters rather than empowering them. Um, unfortunately, we started to see shades of that happen in Kansas, uh, where the Senate last night voted on a measure that would make a number of changes to state election laws, including a provision that requires someone turning in a ballot for somebody else um, be subject to a statement from both parties where they must certify that there is no pressure exercised to force a voter to cast their ballot a certain way. No person who retu- uh, no person can return more than five ballots on behalf of other people and some other changes. Uh, under state law right now, a person can turn in a ballot for someone else. All they need to do is just sign the envelope certifying that they didn't aim to influence the vote in any way. Uh, so who are we talking about here? Who are these people that turn ballots in for others? Uh, who, are the, uh, who are these people who need their ballot um, turned in by other people? Uh, well, we're talking about folks who are homebound, um, sometimes seniors who are homebound, uh, folks with other disabilities that make it hard for them to get to the polls, uh, people working in jobs where they might not have access to the polling place during regular hours, um, other nonpartisan groups who are working on get-out-the-vote efforts and encouraging people to vote and trying to make it as easy as possible for them. You're including a whole slew of, of very good and noble people. And this all gets at this idea of something called ballot harvesting, which is something that, that some people have got themselves frothing at the mouth about, uh, that there's this idea that there are nefarious groups out there just waiting to, to harvest ballots, which basically means take ballots and either change them, lose them, destroy them, alter them in some way um, in order to subvert the will of the people. And there just isn't any evidence to support that. Uh, not only in Kansas, but around the country, there is no widespread evidence of that happening. Uh, but it gets crazier because even even uh, even taking that into account, the bill does does other things too. It puts a ban on election officials from receiving outside grant funding for their office, um, and this kind of funding has been essential, often for especially for smaller county offices who rely on this kind of funding to upgrade voting equipment and reach more voters in their areas. And this again arises from this whole uh, fear of outside influence from other companies and other countries through election technology. Um, and I have to tell you, this, the, the debate on this bill featured all the greatest hits. Um, you know, everything from uh, you know, fear of dead people voting, to people receiving dozens of ballots in the mail, to the Kansas League of Women Voters somehow being an evil group bent on, I don't know, world domination or something. Uh, so we'll start with the dead people voting thing. I don't know how many times we're going to have to debunk this thing. Uh, this was a favorite argument of our former Secretary of State, uh, Chris Kobach, actually, if you can remember that wackadoodle. Uh, well, he decided one time to take a stand and even name names when it came to people he knew in the state of Kansas were dead but had cast their vote anyway. Things got really awkward, though, uh, when the person he mentioned as being dead and having cast their votes was, let me just check my notes here, oh yeah, very much alive, um, and demonstrated the entire problem with this claim. Uh, often these claims of dead people voting result from clerical errors, list mismatches, name confusion, especially really common-sounding names, uh, or people who sometimes cast their vote in advance but then die before election day. There are a whole host of very 
very uh, very mundane reasons why it could look like someone um, who was dead was casting their their votes. There is no great army of the dead out there that is hell bent on manipulating our elections. Uh, then there's this argument about people receiving multiple ballots in the mail, um, which again is often a skewing of what is actually happening. Uh, people can and sometimes from time to time have uh, received multiple applications for advanced ballots in the mail. Now this can happen as a result of a clerical error or even voter error where they think they've asked for an advanced ballot but they aren't sure so they fill out a second request. Any number of things can happen. Um, but the point is they often aren't receiving the ballot numerous times or receiving the application. And sure, they can fill out the application more than once but when the county election office receives multiple applications, they're going to know this person already applied and they're only going to process it uh, once. Um, and I don't even know where to begin about the League of Women Voters thing, except to say that if your argument relies on attacking a decades-old organization known for setting the standard for nonpartisan support of democracy, you may want to rethink your position. And that, folks, is that. What a week. Uh, this is why we tell you to grab a drink before the show, because there's a lot. Uh, we uh, So up next, um, we're going to have a nice little palate cleanser um, as we bring in City Councilman Neil Dobler uh, for a great conversation about his role on the City Council and some of the big issues that are before the Council right now. So go ahead and stay tuned. That's what we've got coming up next. You are listening to Ballads and Brews here on KSAF 75 Live Radio. All right, folks, well, we are back, and we are so very excited to have our next guest with us representing District 7 on Topeka City Council. We are so pleased to be joined by City Councilman Neil Dobler. Neil, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Hey, really happy to be here, Angel. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, as, we, as we get started, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself you know, outside your role of the City Council? Uh, absolutely. Well, I, I work for a local engineering firm here. Bartlett West. I've uh, been here about 15 years now. As you know, Angel, I'm uh, active on some boards and other things in the community. Uh, uh, Civic Theater is one that we're both involved in, and what a great place, and happy to happy to hear that uh, we're going to be opening up uh, really quickly here. Absolutely. So I've also, uh, also been involved with St. Francis Hospital for a number of years. Uh, and Topeka South Rotary. So, a lot of, a lot of things going on. Just, just a couple of things. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Now, you know, you, you talk about your involvement in uh, the community and everything you have going on there. So, on top of all that, then, what decided you to want to run for uh, city council and add that to your plate? Well, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I've worked two different times for the city of Topeka, a total of about uh, 12 or 13 years altogether. I uh, got involved to uh, guys 15, 16 years ago in the change of government from a uh, strong mayor to uh, city manager um, and enjoyed that time uh, when the opportunity came along to uh, take a seat on the city council as a, an appointed uh, council person the first time around. Um, I thought it fit. I had, had some time and felt like I had some a 
little bit of background that uh, might help. So uh, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that your your uh, role there with the city. We had the city manager on our show uh, last week uh, to kind of talk about his role um, and his work in the community. And, you know, you've been there since the kind of the inception of, of that role. You know, how do you think the city's done with, you know, that was a shift for the city to move to that, that council manager uh, form of government. How do you think that's worked for the city? You know, I think overall it's been good. Um, I know when... The discussion started on the change in government. Uh, experts uh, that had been through it before kind of kind of indicated that it would take a good, good five to ten years for the shift to take place. And I think we've seen that happen. I think it took, took a while to get to the point that people were uh, comfortable with the city manager form of government. But uh, I certainly think we're there. Absolutely. Well, and we're, we're lucky to have uh, the folks we have in those in those roles as well. There are no shortage of, of issues, of course, before the city council. Um, uh, at any one time, it, it, you have to laugh because you guys haven't met for like a couple weeks. This extra little bonus week in March has kind of thrown you guys off. It has. Yeah. Two weeks at the end of the month uh, with no council meeting. Uh, we did have a, an executive session Monday night for a couple of hours. So a little bit of work there, but nice to have a little bit of time off. Absolutely. Well, you know, one of the things that um, will be coming up uh, before you guys see it later, of course, is um, the new uh, Topeka, the downtown Topeka master plan for uh, the next 10 years. That was just approved by the uh, planning commission recommended from them. Um, you, of course, I think that's kind of how we first met with it, actually, was uh, being involved with the, the last round of, of redevelopment that happened uh, downtown and that kind of public partner, uh, public private partnership uh, that happened to make all that happen. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what your vision was look like for the future of downtown and how does that partnership continue? Yeah, great question. I think we've seen some some fantastic things happen downtown over the last uh, 10 years, I guess, since, since you and I got involved in it. Um, you know, my my memories go way back. I did not grow up in Topeka, but I moved here when I was in uh, junior high town south of Topeka. And so Topeka was one of the towns we came to, one of the bigger cities we came to. And so I, I remember the downtown as it was in the 70s before the mall uh, out west and, and just a lot of a lot of things happening. So when I moved here in the, in the later 80s, uh, it was disappointing to kind of see what was going on. And I think at that time uh, some of the stores were continuing to move move out to the mall downtown seemed to be dying and that seemed to be the mantra for a long time was downtown and peak is dead um, we've seen that change uh, guys you can't can't hardly find a place to park sometimes um, you go into the iron rail and it's full it's just it's fantastic I think the the next step that everybody kind of points to is is more downtown living. Uh, we've seen we've seen a lot of uh, existing buildings converted into lofts, and, and that's great. We'll probably see that continue, but uh, you know the, the ability of people to do that uh, is kind of diminished. I think uh, they're very very expensive to do the rebuild. So I think the next step is to see new uh, downtown living, new lofts, new construction, and then. 
uh, probably the biggest thing at some point is a is a downtown grocery store. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say, that's something I, I know that folks have talked about for uh, for a long time as being something that's really important to helping kind of facilitate that, that culture down there of having people live downtown. Right. It, it just needs to happen. We uh, This community cannot expand out a whole lot more. Uh, it's just tremendously expensive to do that. And so continued redevelopment, not only of the downtown, but of the core of Topeka and East Topeka and North Topeka, all those all those areas where redevelopment is possible, uh, it needs to happen. Sure. Well, that's that's a great point too. You know, I think especially folks. Of course, I'm not the Topeka. I know folks who have lived here for a long time and talked about how much the city has has expanded. And, and you know, it's interesting to think about as much as the city has grown um, outward. That you know, now's a, a really good time to start looking kind of inward at how do we uh, work with um, some of the areas that we have and, and really invest. Um, and, and help those areas grow. Absolutely. Well, and, and, and we should mention too, you serve on the city council's um, public health and safety committee as one of the committees that you sit on. That um, just recently, can you talk a little bit about kind of what that committee is responsible for and kind of what they're currently working on? Typically, several issues that uh, continue to show up there. Uh, Code compliance is one. Uh, we always get an update on the homeless population, uh, and I think that's that's probably worth mentioning. We had a, a good presentation uh, last week at the committee meeting uh, from Barry Feeker, uh, talking about the, really the potential. And I, I think I saw it a couple of days later. The headline was, uh, you know, they extended the moratorium on evictions for another month or. So, but eventually that's going to end. And the concern is that uh, there's going to be a, a big increase in folks that are, are having a tough time finding a place to live. Um, so we as, as a city and as a community um, need to need to figure out how to address that. And uh, we had a great presentation. I think there's some, some answers out there. Um, the other thing we've been working on really since the pandemic started is uh, the issue of broadband. We had we had lots of people suddenly working from home, schooling from home, um, looking for work from home, all those kind of things. And it quickly became apparent that even though broadband infrastructure is pretty readily available, uh, the availability for a lot of people to uh, make use of that is is sometimes limited. So that's something we've been focused on the last uh, six months or so. Absolutely, yeah, just just a, just a few minor issues, you know, quick fix kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and you know, it's, uh, in looking at, at the homeless, homelessness um, issue that you all been addressing, you know, it's been neat to see too how the Topeka Police Department has been trying to um, over the years, you know, think differently about how they work with the homeless uh, population too and really work with uh, the rescue mission to think how they can be, how they can partner and, and work together on those issues. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, we, we have an outstanding police department. Uh, Sergeant Clam heads up the, the unit that's focused on 
not only homelessness, but mental health. Um, I've had an opportunity to, to ride around with him a little bit and um, really passionate about what he does, and I think his unit is the same way. Um, and they approach things differently, and it's, it's just really, really good to see. Well, you know, and, and thinking about, uh, you know, future of the community and development and that sort of thing, uh, you know, the council the last couple of weeks has been uh, really hard at work reviewing uh, the CIP, the Capital Improvement Plan. Um, and there's, uh, as we've uh, talked about with a couple of council members, it is a, a Hulkin document. There's a lot of stuff in there. Um, but, you know, one of the things, of course, it includes is uh, a schedule of, uh, of uh, street improvements or a list of street. There are street projects and improvements that are slated over the next couple of years, which is always something that people... Um, are, are interested in um, is, is street improvements in the community. You know, what are some some takeaways you think people should know about about what's in the, the CIP when it comes to kind of those, those road and infrastructure type repairs? Uh, certainly, there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of funding uh, focused on um, infrastructure and particularly roads. Um, one of the big projects that's uh, being focused on right now is the we call it the Pope Quincy Viaduct, but really it's a project on I-70 from McVicker to probably about Sixth Street is the first phase, and it uh, it, it will demolish the existing viaduct and, and move it about uh, about. Walk north and take the the curve out. Uh, I think everybody's aware of a tragic accident that occurred in that area not too long ago. And uh, besides the fact that the, the facility just reached its its life expectancy and needs to be replaced, um, and that's you know as you think about downtown and the downtown plan. Uh, that's really going to change change a lot of the downtown. It will affect the ability of the city positively uh, to do do more with the riverfront, um, and it's just it, it's going to be it's a it's a generational project really. So that's that's part of the focus in the city and paid are good partners uh, on that project. I think the other thing that I'd like to kind of highlight with the infrastructure is the, the city's focusing on maintaining what they've got. It's, uh, the, the fun stuff is the, is the new thing to build, but uh, the really important stuff is how you maintain those things you build. So, you know, from streets, a lot of mill and overlay, and just simply fixing the streets, which definitely need it, uh, to you know, maintaining buildings uh, that the city owns. I think I think the city owns something like 130 or more facilities, and uh, you know, ongoing maintenance of those of uh, those assets uh, is extremely important. Sure. Well, yeah, I think I was, I was surprised too as I was listening in one of the meetings, uh, to learn about, you know, improvements that were planned on, uh, what was it? The Gearish Road. I, this is my total non, um, engineer brain. I don't think I realized how apparently rough shape, uh, the Gearish Road is in or how much I guess it's in the, it's reaching its expected, its life expectancy. I think what's the way, uh, they put it out there from, I think, like 20, uh, from maybe Huntoon to 21st Street or 21st to 29th Street, one of those stretches of road. Yeah, twenty twenty first to twenty ninth. So, you know, a year is like a lot of uh, streets on the kind of the outside of the city. Old county roads, old two lane asphalt county roads. Uh, Urich has been updated over the years. 
really from Huntington all the way down to 21st Street um, County projects primarily. Uh, but that last stretch, stretch from 21st to 29th is a city project, uh, and it is in bad condition. I think the city is looking at actually doing a mill and overlay to extend the life of that pavement a little, little bit longer, and then somewhere in 25 or 26 will be a complete rebuild. Well, yeah, that's a good, you know, and, and you point out too, as the city's grown, you know, I'm sure back in the day that uh, those roads probably were, were fine for purposes they had, but as the city's expanded and those roads have seen a lot more traffic on that on the west side of town, it probably is about time to, to update a lot of that, though, that infrastructure out there. Absolutely. Okay, well, and you know, speaking of, of uh, funding as well, you know, the city just approved um, its um, uh, budget priorities going into this year, so it's going to be that, that time of year every elected official enjoys, which is budget season. Uh, you know, what do you think will be probably the most challenging aspect for crafting this year's budget? And how can uh, you know, regular average citizens be involved in that process? Yeah, great question, Angel. I think, uh, you know, the city has a pretty diverse revenue stream. Uh, we refer to general fund, which is primarily property tax and sales tax. Uh, that funds entities like uh, the police department, the fire department, uh, some of the internal services. And in a lot of those areas, you know, the labor costs are the bulk of the budget. I mean, they, they can be anywhere from 70 to 80% of the, of the budget. Uh, so those are all these tough, tough uh, deliberations, I think. Um, then you look at other uh, other funding sources, utilities, uh, really plays a big part in the city budget. Uh, those obviously come from, you know, the water bill. Um, and rates uh, rates have gone up because expenses have gone up over the years. We're, we're dealing with an infrastructure that is old um, and needs to be replaced. And uh, that kind of goes back to our discussion of needing to revitalize the core of the city uh, as opposed to extending out. So those, those are always tough issues. Um, I think this year's budget is going to be a little easier than last year's. Last year, we were in the middle of the pandemic, um, really didn't know what the future looked like. Uh, fortunately, revenues were, were pretty good. Uh, sales tax uh, did not go down as dramatically as, as predicted. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll have, it's never easy, but I think it'll be a little bit more straightforward than uh, last year was. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, folks, um, you know, in the, in the past, you know, the city has had um, kind of budget workshops and whatnot that folks could um, attend and find out um, a little bit more about the budget. And, of course, those might look a little um, different still with kind of um, with pandemic measures in place and things like that. Um, but there's still opportunities for folks to um, give uh, input and feedback on the budget process. Is that right? Absolutely. They can come and speak at uh, council meetings when we're, we're in the discussion. I think probably the most popular way for most folks is an email and you can get on the city website and find your council person or you can email the entire city council and express your opinions. I think a lot of people think those get ignored, but that's not the case. I think every council person reads every email that comes. They may not respond to everyone, uh, but they typically respond to uh, constituents in their district and they certainly read all of the comments. So that's a great way to make your your feelings known to the city council.
Absolutely. So it's a great reminder to the folks listening out there, as we've talked about multiple times on this show before, uh, reaching out to your city council members is absolutely uh, an effective way um, for you to make sure your your uh, concerns, your feedback um, is heard. Well, of course, yeah, before uh, we let you get out here, we always have a fun lightning round game we like to play uh, with any elected official we have on today, if that works for you. That's great. Awesome. Well, these will be questions about your district. Of course, we should remind folks you represent District 7. You want to give folks kind of an idea of where that is in the city? Yeah, it's uh, roughly from uh, Wanamaker east to about Burlingame Road and all south of 29th Street. Very good. Kind of almost that kind of like West Central-ish kind of area in the city. Our first question is, your favorite local restaurant in your district? My, my favorite restaurant is Blue Moose in my district, but I, I need to uh, need to mention the burger stand, which recently moved into Brookwood, and that's that's been a favorite of uh, really my family. Uh, so we're, we're happy to have that in District 7. Absolutely. I was going to say, thanks for a great, great choice out there. Uh, your, your favorite outdoor spot to relax in your district? You know, I live out uh, just south of Warren's Bay, and and we uh, we love to walk. There's a city uh, city constructed trail that goes around Warren's Bay, and it's a popular spot for people to walk. And we certainly certainly like to uh, do that. Absolutely. Well, it looks like there's going to be lots of good weather ahead to do that, too, so that's exciting. Yeah, it's a, it's a great area. Absolutely. Um, you're a favorite uh, attraction or thing to do in your district? You know, there's uh, unfortunately not a lot of uh, parks and other areas in District 7 now. Probably my, my favorite uh, activity is to hit up the gym, which is uh, Genesis, just just on the very east fringe of, of my district. Ah, there you go. Absolutely. Well, that's that's uh, going to be a thing that I'm sure is going to be popular with a lot of us as we emerge from our quarantines uh, over the, the next uh, couple of weeks exactly. and months. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you had to use one word to describe your district, what would it be? You know, the, the word that comes to mind for my district is calm. It's, uh, you know, just, uh, it's a pretty laid back district. Uh, people care about, uh, care about streets. They want their streets to be in good shape. Um, and there's a few other things, but it is a, it's a great district. Uh, lots of involvement, but, uh, yeah, calm is the word that uh, comes to mind. That's a good one. I like that one. Um, and then uh, what is one word you use to describe your hope for the future of your district? Yeah, that's uh, that's a great question. The, the word is growth. Um, we talked about you know taking care of uh, the downtown and the central core, but we have got an area out there that has uh, you know, has streets and some of the utilities installed, and it's been that way for 15 years. Um, and that area needs to grow. It's about uh, 200 plus uh, lots of uh, housing sites there, and uh, we need to see. We need to see that grow. That's that's tax base. That's uh, growth. That's people living in our community, and that's what I'd like to see over the next few years. Absolutely. Um, and then finally, of course, because it's bouts and brews, we always have to ask. Uh, after a, a busy day with city council work, what is your favorite beer or cocktail to relax with? 
Yeah, you know, I, I like to uh, experiment with making old-fashioned. So oh, nice. Uh, that would have to be my favorite cocktail. Good choice. Now, have you had, uh, is, I think at the Cyrus downtown, I've heard they make some really good old-fashions. Uh, yeah, the smoky old-fashioned, I have had that. Uh, just just once or twice. <laughs> there you go. I've heard good things, so I definitely need to try it out. It's uh, great. Well, awesome. Well, Neil, thanks so much for hanging out with us tonight. You bet. I've enjoyed it, Angel. Folks, we'll be looking forward to, as always, keeping you uh, up to date with the happenings at the local city council uh, level. So go ahead and stay tuned. Up next, we're going to wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night. So you are listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSEF 75 Live Radio. Alrighty, folks. Well, as we wrap things up tonight, we are going to talk about everyone's favorite topic, which is money. Uh, you'll notice in our last couple interviews with city council members, we've been talking about city budget as that time is upon us. Everyone's favorite time of year um, to start figuring out what the heck our city budget is going to look like uh, in the next year. Um, a process that will no doubt uh, be difficult. Um, and there will undoubtedly be lots of conversation in the months to come uh, amongst the general public about how the city is spending its money, and some of the more cynical amongst us perhaps may have some thoughts about how the city spends their, their budget dollars. What? People have thoughts about city government? Never. I know, right? Uh, we, we're just spitballing here, but we're pretty sure there's going to be lots of facts and figures thrown around in the next couple of months, some of which may be how should we say this? Less than grounded in truth. Uh, the good news, though, folks, is that when it comes to getting the facts about how the city spends your taxpayer dollars, it's actually never been e easier. Uh, the city has a very cool um, and informative set of web pages that gives you information, uh, more information than you could ever want to know about how the city spends your dollars, right down to the penny. Uh, for starters, head to budget.topeka.gov. That's budget.topeka.gov, as the name implies, because you all know are so bright. Uh, this website is dedicated to an in-depth look at the city budget. Y'all, this website is like a gold mine of information. Um, sure, you can see the actual approved budget for this year on the website, but oh, friends, you can get so much more. Allow me to be your city budget website Sherpa. Uh, once you're on that web page, you can just scroll your happy self down the page a bit and then boom, you've got some graphs showing the city's operating budget, projected budget revenues, etc. But the real goodness is when you start clicking on shit. So, for example, we can click on the button to view this year's operating budget, and then right there we've got all kinds of information. You can view the budget by department, you can view it by fund type, you can view it by expense type. Right off the bat, you can see the biggest part of this year's city budget was, shocker, public works. Roads are expensive, y'all. Uh, what made it so expensive? Well, $47 million of the department's $100 million plus budget is in the form of contracts, which makes sense when you're thinking about public works projects. Pretty cool, right? I know, I know. Try to contain your excitement. Uh, you can see how much we budgeted for this year, but what if you're like, okay, cool, whatever, but how much have they actually spent uh, out of that budget? Well, it turns out the city's got an answer for that one, too, folks. You can actually see uh, the city's uh, uh, checkbook online. 
Uh, now, just a quick millennial side note. Who actually still balances their checkbook? Don't lie. Uh, true story. I think I balanced mine for like three weeks my senior year of high school when I first got a checkbook because I thought it was cool. Um, again, I was a weird child. Uh, and then uh, Banks found out about the internet and I never looked back. Um, I also only write like one check a month, which is my rent check. And uh, oh shoot, that's actually due this week. I should probably get on that. Uh, anyway, that's all besides the point. You can actually go to the website checkbook.topeka.org checkbook.topeka.org and see exactly how much money the city is paying out. The only thing it doesn't have on there is copies of the actual checks so that you can see what cute design the city chose for their checks. I'm betting they probably chose the cute Coca-Cola Bears one. Uh, anywho, uh, this is where you get the real good good stuff. Uh, when you scroll down first, you'll see a graph showing all city expenditures per year per month. Uh, as an example of how cool this is, right off the bat, you notice what the hell happened in September 2016. Uh, you can see the graph makes a huge spike there. Uh, well, when you click that dot, it tells you, sure enough, the city spent around $7 million, $71 million that month. Uh, furthermore, you'll notice the graph tells you that $51.82 million of that $71 million was non-departmental spending. So what does that mean? Well, you scroll a little further down and you can actually pick a specific year of the city's checkbook to see an in-depth dashboard uh, for that year and next thing you know, there it is. In 2016, we apparently decided to pay off a ton of debt related to public works projects, so yay for us. Uh, that page has all kinds of goodness on there, y'all. For the most recent year, you could actually see everything from the top vendors the city works with. Uh, shout out to UMB Bank for apparently being our bank of choice um, and uh, being the vendor that received the most from the city last year. Um, the top expenditure types, um, wouldn't you know it, it's salaries and uh, benefits. It costs money, apparently, to hire people. Uh, so you can see all that good information on there. The point of this whole Nerdapalooza is that there is tons of information right at your fingertips as to how the city spends its money. Um, and again, you can go to um, to either of those two websites, either budget.topeka.gov uh, or checkbook.topeka.gov. Uh, to be able to check out uh, both the city's checkbook and the city's budget um, online. Actually, be able to see for yourself and research for yourself how the city is, is spending its money. I encourage you to check this information out, to share it with other people. And then here's the deal. If you have questions, if you see something you don't like or you're curious about, contact your city council member because I know they would love to hear from you um, about that. So I encourage you to, to research the information and then reach out if you have questions. Um, the city will also likely hold budget workshops, maybe virtually, um, this summer as they're working on uh, the city budget. Uh, and those workshops are really designed for the public to learn about the budget and to offer comments on the budget. So I encourage you, and of course you know we're going to be promoting those here on Ballads and Brews, so I encourage you to watch for those sessions uh, when they come up uh, as well. Uh, the point is that information is out there, so how will we use it? So I will leave you with that tonight. Um, that is, in fact, our show for tonight. As always, thank you all so much for tuning in. If you haven't yet, be sure to give us a like on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Uh, at Ballots Brews is our, uh, our uh, handle there on Twitter. You'll, we'll, you'll see we're always posting helpful information as well as some snarky commentary from time to time on our social media pages. Um, and also don't forget, if you haven't already, to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, um, where you'll get notified 
notified as soon as a new episode drops on there. And feel free to leave us a review um, on Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, so, again, that's our show for tonight. You all, please, please, please stay safe, wear your mask, do your social distancing, wash your hands, all those things we know we're supposed to be doing. Um, and also drink some good beer uh, in the process. And we'll see you next week here on KSF 785 Live Radio. Right here is where I would say now for a brief word from our sponsors, but I'm just sitting here waiting for you to put words in my mouth. So for advertising opportunities, go to 785live.com.